passionate about what I'm getting ready to share with you. Uh, my objective today is to awaken you to uh, the opportunity of God's favor in your life. I, I really feel as your pastor today, uh, we'll get back to some teaching next week and some things week, weeks down the road, but I really felt like I needed to come and, and really just stir the expectation around a word that we re recently received uh, here at the church, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But before we dive in, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we're so grateful. So thankful, Lord, for this opportunity, God, to minister to your people. I thank you, Lord, that, that help is in this place today. God, you know every situation, every circumstance. God, you know what people are up against. You know, God, the answers that need to be released, the help that needs to be released. God, for those in this room, those that are watching online, God, I pray that in this moment that you will do what only you can do, that you would heal and touch your people. God, that encouragement would begin to flow, that help would begin to be released, that, God, you would take what I say and communicate it and apply it to every heart in this place and those watching online. God, give me the ability to communicate. God, give me the ability to do what you've called me to do without any hindrance. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the life changes that's going to happen. Amen and amen and amen. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, I'm going to read a few verses here. It's a story in the Bible that not too long ago I actually uh, preached out of this passage and I just felt like the Lord was really leading us back today so that we could emphasize some things that the Lord has placed upon um, on my heart. I believe there's answers. I believe there's help for you today. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Most church-going people are familiar with that verse. Typically, we are not familiar with the context in which it is written. Verse 7 goes on, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands shall also finish it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Notice verse 10, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin again. I want to read verse 7 one more time just to really emphasize this verse. It says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Uh, a couple weeks ago on a, a Sunday morning, about 2.30, it was exactly 2.30 in the morning. I'll never forget it. I just woke up out of a, out of a deep sleep and, and just I woke up into this overwhelming feeling 
of, of, of really almost a panic. I'm just going to be really truthful and honest with you. I was just really overwhelmed out of my sleep with all the situations and all the problems and all the, the issues of life that I, I was facing. I, I know, I know you're all cousins to Jesus, so you don't have any problems, but, but I was facing a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things going on in my life. And at 2.30 in the morning, I just completely woke up and I knew to stay in bed would not be the right place to stay, to just roll over and, and to consider my, my overwhelming concern. I got up and I went to my office. It's in my home where, where I do my praying and my studying. And, uh, I walked into there and I looked out the window into the, the into the night and, uh, and I heard the Lord speak into my heart. I, I didn't hear a loud voice. It just was in my heart how, how the Lord speaks to me. And he said this. He said, son, favor, hear this, favor is running after you. Favor is running after you. I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever quite heard that statement quite like that. Favor is running after you. As I looked through the window out into the night sky, my heart began to soften to think about the favor, the favor of God. I got, I got so, so excited that, that I began to text pastor friends at 2.30 and 3 o'clock to declare to them, hey, favor is running after you. I couldn't wait to get to church that that morning to to tell the family of celebration because when the Lord spoke that to me that favor is running after you the Lord spoke to me to tell the family of celebration that that's not just your word that that's their word that favor is running after you now that might not mean much to you but my prayer and my hope is by the time I'm done with you today slapping you around you're going to be excited about about favor. You see, Bible favor is a distinguishing advantage of God's goodness in your life. How many of you could use an advantage in your life? The favor of God is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. How many of you could use some help with the issues that you are facing in life? Did you know that God can do more in a moment with his favor that you could never do with a lifetime of labor. The favor of God, listen, can take a nobody and in one moment make them a somebody just in a moment. The favor of God in your life removes limitations. The favor of God in your life will open doors of opportunity. Could anybody use some favor? The favor of God turns situations around. The favor of God makes things possible in your life. The favor of God will get you through the struggle. It'll get you through the disappointment. It'll get you through the pain. It'll get you through the problem. Come on, it'll get you, and this is what I've really come to talk about. The, the, the favor of God will get you through the mess in your life. Does anybody have any messes that you need cleaned up in your life? I'm here to tell somebody and to remind you that the favor of God is running after you. 
My prayer again is to awaken you, to stir you, that you would begin to expect and release faith in what God has said. One of the, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is found in Hebrews where God talks about giving a promise to his people, a promise of the promised land. He says, I've got a land for you that flows with milk and honey. Some two million people heard about that promise, but the Bible says that promise never benefited their life because they did not mix faith with what God has said. They all died in the wilderness when they had a promise available to them. Celebration. We're not going to die in our mess. We're not going to die in our problems. Come on. There's a promise that favor is running after you. Come, come on. Could anybody use some favor today? Now, as I was in that office thinking about the favor of God running after me, the, 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 the spirit of God on the inside of me reminded me of the story in Luke chapter 15, because the Lord knows how I'm going to, how I'm going to act. Well, Lord, you're going to have to show me that in the Bible. I'm a Bible believing, but I'm a word. God, if that's a true word for you, then I can find it in the Bible. And he reminded me about the story in Luke chapter 15. Where the Bible says that a father had two sons and the younger son comes to the father. And the Bible says he demands his inheritance and he takes his father's inheritance before his father is even dead. And the Bible says he goes as far as he can go. You all know the story, familiar story. He goes as far as he can go and he starts living like a wild, crazy man doing Every and any ungodly thing that you can even imagine. And the Bible says that when he ran out of the money, he ran out of the party and he ran out of friends. And the Bible says that he was in want. It left him in bankrupt. And the Bible says nobody would give him anything. And the Bible says he went and found a job and that job was feeding the pigs. And so we find him in the pig pen and he's thinking about because he's so hungry. He's thinking even this pig's food sounds really good right now. And it was at that moment, the Bible says in the story in Luke chapter 15, that the son comes to his right mind. He becomes sober in his thinking. And he says, I'm going to go home to my father and I'm going to say, father, I have sinned and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant in your house and he's thinking that and then he gets up out of the pig pen and he begins to act on what he is thinking which is a true picture of of repentance in your life repentance is not tears repentance is to change the course of your life and the Bible says that he's on his way home to the father's house. And the Bible says that the father from afar off sees his son coming. And the father does not wait for the son to get to the house. But the father begins to run after the son. And when the father gets to the son, the father puts his arms, his loving arms around him and begins to kiss him and love on him and kiss him and love on him. And the son immediately begins to, begins to communicate his speech. He says, Oh father, 
Father, I have sinned against you and I'm not worthy to become your son. And before he can get the next part of his speech out, the father stops him. And the father looks to his servants that also ran with him. It's in the story there. And says, you go get me a robe and you go get me the ring and you go get me some shoes for my son. We're going to throw a party for my son was dead, but now he is alive. We, we don't have time to go into what all those represent, but the robe is going to clean up, clean up his dirtiness. God, how many of you know that God has given us a robe of righteousness? That, that we come to God all messed up and all dirty, but by the time God is done with us, he makes us right in his eye. A robe of righteousness. The ring was a signet ring. What he's getting for his son is it signifies that you're not going to be a servant. You're not going to be a slave. I am going to restore you to sonship. I'm going to put this ring on your finger and everything that I have is now yours. The father is completely restoring the son. I'm going to give you shoes because servants didn't wear the shoes back then, but the sons did. You got to have shoes, but not only am I going to give you shoes so that you're not a servant to prove to you that you're my son, but I'm going to give you shoes for a brand new walk. I I want you to see the picture because the father is running to the son, but also the father's favor is running to the son. The son doesn't have to get back home to the house to prove to his father that he's worthy No, all he needs is the father to come running. And once the father comes running, all the favor comes running. And all of a sudden, in a moment, the son is completely restored. Somebody ought to get happy. Somebody ought to get excited about that. What's amazing to me is that God's favor runs after this son. And in a moment, everything that was messed up in his life has been fixed. I'm here to tell you favor is running after you. And when it catches you, when you, when you have a head on collision with it, I'm here to tell you that in a moment, it can change everything about, it can fix the mess in your life in a moment. Favor. Here's what I'm saying. Favor is running after you. God's favor, God's help, God's ability is running after you. And when it, when it catches you, it'll fix in a moment what you could never fix in a lifetime. It's the favor of God. I said it's the favor of God. This is exactly what we see in this story. In the book of Zechariah that we just read, the Bible talks about Zerubbabel. He's, he's, a, he's a person that has been elected to, to, to lead a group back to Jerusalem to rebuild their, their city. Zerubbabel is, is actually elected to become the, like the mayor or the governor, and his, his job is to it's to leave Babylon, which they have been held captive for some 70 years. And now these exiles are, are, are going to be able to go back home, which 70 years earlier, their homeland was utterly destroyed, completely, com- completely demolished, nothing left of it. And so here you have Zerubbabel who is leading. He, he's going to become the mayor. He's going to become the overseer to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And he takes 50,000 people back home. To Jerusalem. 
And the Bible says that the first thing that Zerubbabel wants to do is not build the city walls. And he doesn't want to build their own houses and their own homes. He felt like the best thing to do was to build the house of God first. That we're going to build the temple. That we're going to build the place where we come to worship. That's the first and foremost, most important thing that we need to do. So Zerubbabel is leading the charge. He's overseeing this huge building project. And 50,000 people get back to Jerusalem. And they go to work. And Zerubbabel is leading them. And the Bible says that they get the foundation of the temple all laid. They get it all completed. It's the foundation. And now they're ready to, to go up with the walls and they're ready to, to begin to uh, start, start, start applying bricks and the masons and the carpenters. And they're, the, the foundation has been laid. But then the Bible talks about a problem. The Bible talks about an opposition that comes against Zerubbabel and God's people. In fact, the Bible calls it a mountain in Zechariah 4, 7. Notice here, out of the voice translation, it says mountains of opposition. Throughout the Bible, when the Bible mentions mountains, it is, it is a type or symbolizes problems much of the time in the context. So here, when, when they're trying to rebuild this temple, they get the foundation laid. All of a sudden, they, they experience opposition, and the Bible calls it mountains of opposition. And the Amplified says it this way, O great mountain of human obstacles. In fact, if you was to read the whole book of Ezra, you'd find out exactly what this opposition was. Again, they've completed the, the foundation. They're ready to get on with the carpentry work and the mason work and all that. But this opposition arises. And Ezra tells us what that opposition. And first and foremost, it was opposition from the outside. Non-Jewish people who lived in the surrounding areas, they did not want to see Jerusalem built. They didn't want to see these exiles come back home and build their houses. And they certainly didn't want to see them build a temple and a house of worship to a God they did not believe in. So the Bible says that they begin to protest and they need to, they begin to stand against and harass the, the project and harass, uh, uh, Zerubbabel. And the Bible says that they filed lawsuits and petitions to try to stop the project. They even gave bribes to the governmental officials to shut down the project. They even, on the, on the church grounds there, they, they brought squatters in to overtake the project where squatters would just set up their homes and, and there was no room to build and, 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 and because you couldn't just kick the squatters out because they had back then squatters' rights. And so they're getting all this harassment from people on the outside who did not want to see the temple built. They were determined to shut down the project. And so Zerubbabel is frustrated. All these lawsuits and all this the red tape with now the government and all these squatters everywhere and, and, and he can't get his people to get in there and to be able to build because, because they have been stopped by, by governmental officials. And so now he's, he's overwhelmed. He's, 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 uh, He's, he's, he's overwhelmed by the opposition. He's, he tries everything that he, 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 he can do, but the project just cannot move forward because of the opposition from the outside. In fact, the Bible says because of that, the project actually stopped. But then the Bible says that there was not only just opposition from the outside, but there was opposition from the inside. And it's important that you hear this background story of this story here. The backdrop. There was outside opposition, but now 
the Bible talks about there was inside opposition. These were actually some of the exiled Jews that came back to build the temple, that somehow, some way, in building the foundation, they just got tired. The Bible actually says they become half-hearted. Uh, these were the church-going people, by the way. They, they just kind of got complacent and half-hearted, and they thought, well, you know, that's, that's a lot of work, that church stuff. That's serving God, that's a whole lot of work. And the Bible says there was a group of them that because of their, their, their half-heartedness, they just kind of begin to do their own thing. And, and they, they got busy building their own house and doing their, their own things and building their own businesses. And, 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 and Zerubbabel could not get them to cooperate. And then these people became negative of everything. They said, even if we did build it, It'll never be like it used to be. It'll never be like the temple that Solomon built. We, we, we went the, the good old days. That's, that's what we want. If we build it, it'll never be like the good old days. You know something about the good old days? They're never as good as you think they are. Is that the truth? And that's what they, they kept saying. They said, we, 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 we don't want to build this thing. This will be a waste of time. Even if we get this built, this new generation, the way they do church, uh-uh. We want the, we want the good old day. We want the music the way it used to be. We want the preaching the way it used to be. Give us the good old days, but there's a problem with the good old days. They're not as good as you think they are. There was problem and hell back there in the good old days. I tried to find some good old days the other day. I, I remember where I was raised. I, I used to go fishing and I was, I was thinking because I got a grandson that's really excited about going fishing. So I'm trying to find a place to take him fishing. And so I was thinking about the place I used to go fishing when I was just a child and how my dad would do it. And, and so I went back there to experience the good old days and I, I got up early and my dad would always take us out to the beach. And we, so I went out there and began to dig holes early in the morning. It was freezing. It was cold. It wasn't feeling like the good old days. And, and then I had to move the seaweed and start digging holes and find these little critters called sand fleas. Have you ever heard of a sand flea? They're actually in the beach. And, and, I, and I would catch sand fleas and put them in because I'm going to go fishing. And I'm trying to experience the good old days. But, but I wasn't experiencing the good old days. I'm thinking, this is not fun at all. And I got my sand fleas and I'm preparing to have this wonderful experience of what I thought was just the life and the world. And then I get to the lake that I used to fish and, and used to go to and used to think so much about. And I get there and I look and I go... Is this it? Really? This is the good old days. I looked at the water. It's filthy. I said, what is that smell? This stuff stinks. This is a good. And I looked and there's algae everywhere. And you know what I did? I threw my bait away, put my fishing pole back in my truck and came back home because I believe God's got better days. Come on. Somebody needs to believe. Somebody needs to believe. In fact, do you know the Bible? Do you know the Bible says that, that, that you don't need, that in Ecclesiastes 7.10, don't long for the good old days? Why? Because God's got better days. So, so these were half-hearted people. They got tired of working and serving and the things of God. And so they just got busy doing their own life and busy, busy building their own dream. And, and so, so they're half-hearted and then they're thinking, well, even if we build it, it'll never compare to what we used to have. And so here's the point. Zerubbabel is 
is dealing with a mess. You need to hear this. He's got opposition from the outside who's stopping the project. And now he's got opposition from the inside. A house divided against itself cannot stand. If we need anything, celebration, we need a heart of unity. Come on, it's where the commanded blessing flows. Come on, it's where the anointing flows. We've got to be unified in this. The Bible says there was opposition from the inside. And Zerubbabel became so overwhelmed by the difficulty, by the negativity, by the half-heartedness of of people. He's facing opposition. The, the project has been shut down. And all he's looking at is the unfinished condition of their life. Now, now that's bad enough, but, 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 but it didn't stay that way. For 16 years, the project went unfinished. It wasn't just one day. It wasn't just two days. It wasn't just a month. But for 16 long years, Zerubbabel would go out there and all they had accomplished was the building of the foundation because it was a mess of, because the opposition came against them and stopped the project. And it's in that moment, in that mess in Zerubbabel's life, his dream to see something finished for the things of God, to rebuild a city. God shows up and gives Zerubbabel steps in how to get through the mess of life. How many of you would like to know some of those steps? Well, you're going to get them anyhow. Here's the first thing that God tells Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, you're going to have to, number one, if you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, this is what you're going to have to do. Number one, you're going to have to choose your God. You're in a mess. You're dealing with an unfinished project. Your dream is not complete. But this is what you're going to do in your mess. You're going to have to choose your God. Zerubbabel. Look at verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my spirit. Most of us know the verse this way. It's not by might, nor by power but by my spirit in his mess, in his unfinished dream, in his dilemma, in his crisis. I don't, I don't know what you're dealing with today, but I'm here to tell you that God can fix your mess. But Zerubbabel, the first thing I need you to do is I need you to choose who your God is. Zerubbabel, are you choosing your smarts? Are you choosing your ability? Are you choosing your strength? Because you're not cute enough to get this done. You're not smart enough to get this done. It won't be accomplished by your ability. You won't get this project moving after 16 years of doing nothing. You won't get this project moving by your smarts and your good look. It's going to take the spirit of almighty God. You're going to have to choose. Are you going to do this within your own strength? Or are you going to choose the spirit of God to see this project completed? Zerubbabel, you're going to have to make the choice that it's the Spirit of God that will get you through this opposition. This is the first thing, Zerubbabel, that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to choose your, your God. That, that's significant. I don't, I don't want to just run over that. I don't want to just move on because, because we're really good at choosing our own strength as our God. We're, we're really good at choosing our own ability as, as, as our God, 
We, we really think that we can accomplish it, that we can fund it, that we can do it, that we can just burn the midnight oil and, and we can accomplish it. But we've got to come to a point and a place that we're going to have to choose just exactly who is my God. Is it my money? Is it my strength? Is it my ability? Is it my smarts? Is it my good looks? No. He says it's going to require the spirit of all, the God that created the heavens and the earth. It's going to require the spirit of almighty God to get this done. You're going to have to choose celebration. If God's going to be able to fix your mess, you're going to have to choose how you're going to move forward in that mess. You're going to have to choose the, the father, the God that created the heavens and the earth. The second thing that he does, he says, not only are you going to have to choose your God, Zerubbabel, you're going to have to choose to begin again. So important. You're going to have to choose to begin again. You're in a mess. 16 years and nothing has been done. You you can you show little for what for what's been done over the past 16 years. You're stuck. You're 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 in a mess of your life. And and here's what the Bible says. Verse 10, it says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin again. Wow. God is saying, Zerubbabel, if you're going to get out of this mess, not only are you going to have to choose your God, but you're going to have to choose not to quit. You're going to have to choose not to stop. You're going to have to choose to keep fighting. Don't get frustrated, Zerubbabel. Listen, I, I know that these are small beginnings, but, but they're just small right now because if you'll get back in the game, if you'll do it again, begin again, I'm here to tell you there's something bigger beyond this small thing. Listen, many of us, many of us face that. 16 years, this is all he has to show for his life. He said, God, this is small beginnings. God, my dream has been interrupted. This is not the way I planned my life to go. It says, Zerubbabel, here's how you're going to fix it. I need you to begin again. I know it's small, but it's not going to stay small. I got something big in mind for you, but I need you to cooperate. I need you to choose your God, and then I need you to begin again. I need you to begin again. God is saying, keep fighting. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't get frustrated. In other words, what is ahead of you? Are some big, big things. Come on, are you with me still? Lean over to your neighbor and tell them it's time to begin again. I like what Zerubbabel says. Father, we just speak peace into every situation, every area. In Jesus' name. Right up here, look at this. Let's not miss this moment. I like what Zerubbabel says here in Zechariah 4.9. Catch this, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple and his hands shall also finish it. It's be a great time for the piano player to just come back and help us this year. Did, did you hear what the, the Bible says concerning Zerubbabel? This is what God said over Zerubbabel. He says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple and his hands shall also Finish it. That's a great word for some of you today. You know what you need to do? You need to get back in the game. You, you need to get. God did not only intend for your hands to start this great life, 
but God intends to take your hands and finish this great life. Come on, can anybody get excited about that? Some of you need, you, you need to get your hands back in the game and watch God finish the work. Zerubbabel, I need you to choose your God. Zerubbabel, next, next I need you to, I need you to choose to begin again. But Zerubbabel, if we're going to get you out of this mess, I, I need you to do a third thing. Are you with me? Everybody watch this. Unless you're tending to that issue, watch up here, please. I need you to do a third thing, Zerubbabel. I need you to choose your words. Come on, don't, don't, don't let this be stolen from you today. Come on, we're awakening to the favor of God that can fix things in a moment. The favor of God that can restore you in a moment to fix and turn that mess around. Zerubbabel, if we're going to fix the mess, here, here's God's steps. You're going to have to choose your God. And you're going to have to choose to begin again. You've got to get back in the game. I know you don't have much to show for it. I know it seems so small, but if you'll get back in the game, I'll do something big with your life. I need your hands back in the game because you started it, and I want to finish it with your hands. He said, but, but not only that, I need you, number three, I need you to choose your words. Check this out. I need you to choose your words. Notice what it says here. Who are you, Almighty? Oh, mountain of opposition, you'll become nothing more than a smooth plain. Notice that um, that he's talking to a mountain here. Did, did you see that? No, no, notice here in Zechariah, in the message translation, it says, so big mountain, who do you think you are? You're nothing but a molehill. <laughs> who talks to mountains? God. And God wants you to choose your words to talk to mountains. You're not hearing me. Oh, oh, we talk to mountains. Well, we don't talk to them. We actually talk about them. But, but that's why we got to choose our words. God is saying, I need you to choose your words, not to describe your mountain, but to, but to tell your mountain that it has no power over your life. Huh? God is showing Zerubbabel the importance of using words to tell his mountain of opposition that it has no power over him. God is telling Zerubbabel, I need you to choose your words to speak to the mountain, to speak to the problem. Instead of speaking about the mountain, instead of speaking about the problem. Are, are we good at that? Are we good at that? I mean... We, we, we get sickness and disease. We get lack and poverty. We get problems and pain. What do we do? We talk about, oh, I'm so sick. Well, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not going to fix your problem. What's going to fix your problem is not talking about your pain, but, disclare, but declaring that by the stripes of Jesus, I command sickness and disease to get out of my life. Oh, I'm so broke. Man, we never have enough money. 
instead of speaking to that mountain of lack. Lack, get out of my life. Wealth and riches shall be in my health. The Lord God Almighty gives me the power to get wealth, to establish His covenant. My God shall supply all my needs. We, we talk about, we, we, aren't we good at describing our problems? We spend all of our time, and God is, God is saying, okay, Zerubbabel, I gotta get you to, to quit describing your mountain. I gotta, I gotta get you to start speaking to your mountain. And command it to be removed. Jesus taught us this principle. Mark eleven twenty three, the New Testament. You remember it, right? Jesus said to you, whosoever will shall say unto this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says shall come to pass. He will have whatever he. Wow. You gotta be kidding me. Notice not one time in that verse does Jesus say, Hey, look at your mountain and describe it for me. You know what Jesus says? You look at that mountain of opposition. You look at that mountain of problems. You look at that mountain of lack and you tell it to be removed from your Zerubbabel. Here's what I gotta get you to do. I gotta get you to choose your words correctly because describing your mountain, describing your problem is not going to remove your problem. You gotta command your problem to get up and go. Zerubbabel, come on. I need you to choose your God. I need you to choose to begin again and I need you to choose your words. And we are closing because my battery is almost dead. Here's the fourth thing, final thing. How many of you would stay with me? Number four, choose God's favor. Choose God's favor. Zerubbabel, I need you to need to choose God. I need, you, I need you to choose who your God is. It's not your strength. It's not your looks. It's not your ability. It's not your money. And then I need you to choose to begin again. I know, I know it looks small, but I gotta get you back in the game. I gotta get you serving again. I gotta get you believing again. I gotta get you dreaming again. I gotta get you hoping again. Come on, church. It's time to get back in the game. I know you did it 16 years ago, but what are you doing right now for the kingdom of God? It's time to get back in the game. And then we need to choose our words, not to describe our problem, but to tell our problems to get out of our lives. Are you with me? Here's the last thing. Choose. Choose God's favor. This is crazy. It says, bring out, verse 7, the capstone, the shouts of grace, grace to it. I speak grace over this place today. I speak grace over every condition, over every circumstance, over every situation. Father, we speak health and healing and wholeness over every person in this room, those that are watching online. God, we thank you that by the stripes of Almighty God, Jesus himself, that he bore upon his back, we declare God and we release the healing power and the anointing of God into every person's life, into every situation. We declare over people with long life, you will satisfy them. No weapon formed against them shall ever prosper. Every tongue that rises up, God, we take our authority and we judge it and we condemn it in the name of God Almighty. So, Rabbah, you're going to have to choose your God. If you're going to get out of your mess, you're going to have to choose to begin again. If you're going to get out of your mess, you're going to have to choose your words correctly. And here's the last thing, Zerubbabel, you're going to have to do is you're going to have to choose the favor of God. 
And I, I think we're missing it in so many churches because we're not aware of the potential of the favor of Almighty God that when it shows up, it can fix anything and everything in a moment. It's the favor. It's God doing for you. Can I remind you? It's God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. So here it is. He says, I want you to bring out the capstone. And I want you to shout, Grace! <laughs> Grace! Oh, uh, you don't know where I'm going. I'm already getting happy over this. Mmm. I might go old school on you today. You know what's interesting is the word grace. The Bible means the undeserved, unearned favor, favor of God towards man. God's grace is actually God's favor. Showing up in your life, doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Much throughout the Bible, wherever you see the word grace, you can interchange that with the word favor. He says, Zerubbabel, here's what I got to get you to do. I need you to bring out the capstone. And then I need you to back away. And I need you to look at the capstone. And I need you to declare grace. Grace. Back, Zechariah 4, 7. And then the New Living Voice translation says, bring out the capstone and call out. Here it is. May God give it favor. Why? Because it's interchangeable. You're going to have to choose God's favor. You're going to get out of your mess. Now, here's what you need to understand. A capstone was the final stone. It represents the completion of a building. It represents the completion of a project. This is crazy. The, the, the building's not done. There's only a foundation in 16 years. Nothing has been done to the building. God shows up on the scene to a frustrated, overwhelmed, messed up Zerubbabel who can't sleep at night. And he says, here's how you're going to fix your problem. You're going to bring out the capstone. You're going to bring it out and you're going to lay it on the foundation. A capstone is the very last stone that you put in place. In other words, just, just to give you reference, it's, it's kind of like our ribbon cutting ceremony that we would do once a building is completely done. Once we finish a building, we have a ceremony, we cut the ribbon and we dedicate the building and it's hooray. But the building's not even finished. It's just a foundation. And God shows up on the scene. You, you want to get out of your mess? Go get the capstone. Now, here's what you need to understand throughout the Bible. The Bible is very clear that there is a cornerstone and there is a capstone. The Bible says it's the cornerstone that the builders rejected. Do you know what a cornerstone is? And, that, and, and cornerstone is Jesus. It's the builders rejected. is Jesus. The cornerstone is the first stone laid in the foundation. The cornerstone and the capstone throughout all of Scripture is a picture and it represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Catch this. So Jesus is called the cornerstone in Scripture, and Jesus is also called the capstone in Scripture. The cornerstone is the very first stone you would lay to start your building, and the capstone would be the very last stone that you would put in place declaring the finish of the building. 
Hello, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's the reason why the Bible says, He, Jesus, who has begun a good work, He starts it, will complete the work in your life. It's just a picture of Jesus. He not only starts it out for you, but He also finishes it for you. So, Zerubbabel, I'm almost done. I want you to bring out that finishing stone. I need you to bring out the fin- and I need you to get your eyes on the finishing. I need you to get your eyes on not only Jesus, the, the author of this thing, but I need you to get your eyes on Jesus, who is also the finisher of this thing. I need you to get your eyes on the stone. I need you to get your eyes on that capstone. I need you to get your eyes on Jesus, who not only begun this thing, but is willing and ready to complete it. And then I need you to back away from it, Zerubbabel. And I need you to shout. I need you to shout, Grace! Grace! I I could just imagine, looking at some of you, this is probably what Zerubbabel did. They got the capstone. They set it out there. Put it on the foundation. This is ridiculous. The building's not done. God says, you back away from that and you shout to it. Grace. Grace. You didn't catch it. He says, you shout to it. Favor. Favor. See, see, I think probably what happened is Rubble first probably looked at that and said, grace that's that's usually how we come to church and we give God our half-hearted worship and half-hearted commitment he says I want you to shout see 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 I I, I said to shout you got to shout so okay I, grace no I didn't say shout once I said to shout I said to shout grace grace I said to shout favor Favor, because if favor ever shows up in your life, it will fix your mess in a moment. Come on, who am I preaching to? Come on, who's getting this today? (laughs) Do you know what happened? My notes are gone. I don't know. You know what happened? He shouted, grace, grace. And the Bible says from all over the place, the carpenters started coming and the masons started coming and the help started coming and the resources started coming and the legal issues were done away with and the squatters were removed. And you know what happened? The building God built and it was completed and it was dedicated. Why? Because we got our eyes not only on the altar, but we got our eyes on the finisher and we backed away and we said, we know how this thing's going to happen. It's going to be because the grace, the favor of God is running after running after us. Now I could take you through the Bible and show you Bible verse after Bible verse where a shout meant something, right? You shout and, and, and walls, Jericho's walls came. They shouted and victories were won. Gideon's army. They shouted and won a great victory. I, I can take you place after place. The Bible says the shout unto God with the voice of tri- there's triumph when you well is all that necessary? You tell me. You're the one that's going to go home and shout for your raiders. 
Shout for your Niners. Shout for your lottery tickets. Shout, shout for your Vegas trip. Uh, we shout about all kinds of things. I was shouting the other day. Car in front of me was not moving. Those women drivers, I shouted. And here's what I learned about my shout. When I shout, I'm passionate about what I'm shouting about. When I shout, I'm convinced about what I'm shouting about. When I shout, I'm committed. You see that lady in front of me? I don't know what in the heck she was doing. But I started shouting. Why? Because I was passionate about getting her out of the way. Come on. Come on. You're passionate about what you're shouting. I was convinced that I was going to get her out of the way. Even if I had to help her. And I was committed. I was shouting because I was committed to getting her out of the way. Could it be that God wants your shout because God wants your passion? Could it be that God wants your shout because God wants you to be convinced of His favor? Could it be that God wants your shout because He wants your commitment to the favor, your passion to the favor? Come on, stand to your feet, church. Oh, you could do better now. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Somebody needs to shout. Somebody needs to shout. I dare you to start shouting. Favor. Favor. I dare you. I double dog dare you to begin to shout favor over your lack and favor over sickness and favor over poverty. Please, nobody leaving. I'll throw this mic at you and hit you in the head. I'm just kidding, really, just kidding. I know when God's doing something because I know when God's trying to get something in your heart because there'll be distractions everywhere. Don't miss what God is doing in this place. Please don't miss God's favored church. I didn't come with a sermonette. I came with a word from heaven. God's favor is running after you and it can fix everything that you're going through. In a moment, it can restore you. In a moment, it can heal you. In a moment, it can deliver you. It's what celebration needs more than ever. Come on, we come a long ways. 26 years. But you know, when I look at things, I say small beginnings. We haven't seen our best days, our greatest days. Come on, you better get ready. Come on, God's not done with us. I like that old commercial. I'm going to date myself a little bit. You know that, that spot remover? Shout. Makes me want to shout. I told you I don't sing, so I just preach. Some of you, some of you need to shout it out. Come on. Come on, celebration, it's time. Come on, it's time. Come on, it's time. Some of you need to shout out that depression and shout out that frustration and shout out that misery. Some of you need to shout that stuff out. Grace, grace, favor, favor. You're running out Come on, lift your hands. So I let go. So I let go. Oh, we worship you, Lord. 
says today, if you'll call on him, he'll come running. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, or maybe you've done like the younger son did and ran away from his father, I'm here to tell you, your father's not mad at you. He's been looking for you to come home. And I want to lead you in a prayer today that changes everything in your life. If that's you, you're in that situation, Situation you want to surrender your life or rededicate your life. I want to ask you to pray this prayer. In fact, all of the family of celebration, would you pray this, pray this prayer with me? Say, Father God, today I surrender my life to you. I believe that Jesus died upon the cross, took my sin, took my judgment, and came out of that grave resurrected in power and today I receive Jesus as my Lord and I make him my Savior in Jesus name we pray Amen Thanks for listening 
If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to celebrationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with the message of Jesus.